Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. In Daniel chapter 9, this is where things get really exciting in our study church. This is exciting times. Uh, Our time in Daniel so far has been fruitful. I jotted them down because I number my studies. This is our 28th study in the book of Daniel. And you remember the, the first part of Daniel was just so encouraging about the man, about the integrity of the man. And, and I think it all started with this. Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. And there are just those times in life you have to make a decision. This is one of them. I mean, it's, it, you've got to make a decision. Purpose in your heart right now to follow the Lord. Don't wait And we've been encouraged and exhorted and uplifted and strengthened. And I believe every single pastor listening to me needs to take his flock through the book of Daniel. It's just that awesome. I mean, if Daniel was compared, like we saw with uh, Pike's Peak, if Daniel was a mountain, then chapter 9 is the peak. Like we are at the top. We are at the highest point in the book. One of the most powerful, wonderful sections In all the Bible, as God unfolds a very important key to prophecy and understanding prophecy. It's also a little technical. So we're going to get into some of the technicalities. And it's technical in in relation to math. So I'm going to have to get a little technical here to explain the prophecy to us. But it's okay because this is recorded. You can always go back uh, and jot down some notes and go back and listen to it again. But this is a great place to really sit down and be in awe of God. In Daniel chapter 9, we're introduced to the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now, we are studying Daniel. This is a new thing for us in the New Living Translation. And they translate it in a way that's easier to understand than the 70 weeks of Daniel. But I'm going to use the 70 weeks of Daniel because that's how the King James and New King James and most other translations will will use the 70 weeks. And that's how you'll remember it. But you'll see in a moment that the way that the New Living Translation translates it is a period of 70 sets of seven, which is the right way to handle it. And then we'll get into it as we go forward. Now, Some people come to Daniel as a critic. They come to the book of Daniel as a critic and and as they come as a critic, they're, you know, they're a critic with the rest of the Bible. So it doesn't matter. Daniel is just another book to make fun of and not believe. Others come to this section of Daniel as a bystander, thinking this sort of stuff is just for the pastor, for the leader. Still others come to Daniel, to this section of Daniel as a student which has been my prayer for all of us, that we would be students, or better yet, that we would be learners, because that's what the the real definition of disciple is, to be a learner. And we wanna learn what the Bible has to say, especially the technical things, we wanna learn what the Bible has to say so that we will be changed into the image of Christ, and our lives will be changed. Because why? Why do we learn something and why do we change our minds? Because of this. What we believe will dictate how we behave. So we're not just studying prophecy to be prophecy buffs. We're not just studying prophecy to, to, oh, the world is falling. We're studying prophecy because we want to get to know the God of prophecy. Don't ever forget that. 
It can be rather frustrating to see all these videos and all these things come out and, and everybody's freaking out about the mark of the beast right now. But, but even as you're freaking out about the mark of the beast and can, can somebody make me take it and, and what if I get this? And listen, there's no mark of the beast without the beast. And you know as well as I do as we've studied it, the beast is the Antichrist. And the Antichrist appears in the time of the great tribulation period. And there's no question of the fact that the Antichrist is the Antichrist. He declares it to be so. And, and the mark of the beast has everything to do with those that worship the beast. So nobody's going to get the mark of the beast against their will. Nobody's going to get the mark of the beast as it is, as that final rebellious decision against God, against their will. The mark of the beast does, I believe, involve technology and implantable chips and stuff. I get all that. Yes. But everybody's freaking out about that when there's no beast, not currently revealed as the one world ruler right now, even though you might have read recently that the former prime minister of England has called for a temporary one world government like a, a temporary one world leader to solve this global crisis. Interesting days. But why do we study such things? To be scared? To be nervous? No, to stir us into love and good works. That's why we study Daniel. It's to make us students of the Bible. History in advance. God has given us a panorama picture. Listen, God has given us a panorama picture of his dealings with Israel, the Antichrist, the coming Messiah, and the end of the age. Pick up with me in verse 20. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel says, well, pick up in verse 19, because remember he was praying. We spent a lot of time studying his prayers. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Reading from the New Living Translation. For your own sake, do not delay. O my God, for your people and your city, bear your name. Verse 20, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. And that's his prayer. It's a prayer of confession. It's not just a prayer of confession, oh, this, this, this country, those sinners. No, when, when he prays this confession, he confesses his sins and our sins collectively. So he's speaking and he's praying and he's confessing. And he's reading in the book of Jeremiah, prayer and reading in the Bible. He's in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25 and 29. And his heart's breaking over the sins of his nation. His heart's breaking over the sins that would lead to captivity, all the idolatry and rebellion. And from his broken heart flow prayers and supplications. Notice verse 21. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, verse 22, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I'm here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. So right in the middle of his prayer, right in the middle of his prayer, God shows up in the form, or really God shows up in the presence of an angel. This is a real angel separate from God. And what I mean is that God sends a messenger. And so God shows up as an answer by sending a messenger, the angel, with the answer, Gabriel, the archangel. And he shows up with an answer that was unexpected. And by the way, this shouldn't surprise us that angels are used to give uh, an answer because 
according to the book of Hebrews, when many, many, many months ago we were studying Hebrews chapter one, remember we learned that angels are ministering servants. They are servants of those who are to care for people. This is Hebrews 1.14. They're sent to care for people that inherit salvation. So Gabriel shows up, an angel dispatched by God, and he, as Daniel's praying about the future, God gives him an answer about, well, I should say this. Daniel's praying about the future of the captivity backwards. God gives him an answer about the prophetic key of the future going forwards. And the answer really supersedes the request. Gabriel comes forward to give Daniel insight, verse 22, and understanding. Uh, in the New King James, he was, that phrase is translated, skill to understand. Three times Gabriel's talking with Daniel, he talks about understanding, understanding, understanding. And listen, God wants you to understand the things of the future. God wants you to understand the prophetic implications of the Bible and the day in which you live. God wants you to understand that you're living on a prophetic time clock, that God is on the throne. God wants you to understand, listen church, and and listen, anyone watching online, uh, connected to us on Grace FM, listen, God wants you to know that he holds future in his hands. He holds the future in his, he wants you to understand that there's a plan and a purpose for your life and for this world and that God has it all under control. That's just a word from the Lord for you today. God has it all under control. He wants you to understand. Not only does he want you to understand prophecy, but he wants you to understand his character and his nature. He wants you to understand that he has written history in advance and we're living it in real time. This really discourages me at times because so many pastors avoid teaching prophecy. They're not interested in the book of Revelation or Daniel or Zechariah or Isaiah or Jeremiah. It's almost as if in some churches, and I know that some might be listening and go, wait a minute, that's my church. Or you might be a pastor or a leader and you go, well, wait a minute, that's what I do. But, but I want you to hear me out. I want you to pray about this because it's not for me. It's for your relationship with the Lord and it's your leadership. But you can come into some churches and think that everything started in Matthew. Like everything started in Matthew. And you just drop down into human history with the the coming of Jesus Christ. But you know, there's a lot more that happened before Matthew. The the old covenant, starting with Adam and Eve, working all all the way through to Malachi. Like, the Bible is a one unit. It is one long story, broken up in different facets. And it speaks to us about the love of God. And I want you to consider understanding prophecy. Now it is dangerous sometimes when you start studying prophecy because then you, you make prophecy more important than God. You make every little thing, is this the Antichrist and this is this the chip and is this, you, you make it more than it is. I mean, look at the days in which you live and then measure it by the scriptures. And then when you look at it in the scriptures, looking you know, at different parts of the, parts of the Bible, then, then man, act like you're in the last days. I guess that's the best way to put it. Because you know, every generation, every true believer has lived with an urgent, expectant return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it's God's will for every generation to live with an, a, a sense of the imminent return of Jesus, that he could come at any time. 
And I believe a pre-tribulational rapture, the doctrine of a pre-tribulational rapture puts every generation at the place. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. And how exciting that is that. The word is clear. God wants to give us understanding. Uh, hold your place in Daniel. Go over to Daniel or in chapter 9 and just go to chapter 12 real quick. Look at Daniel chapter 12 in verse 4. Look at Daniel chapter 12 verse 4. It says, but you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Okay, so for the time that Daniel wrote it, keep it a secret, seal up the book until the time of the end when many rush, will rush here and there or some translations run to and fro and knowledge will increase. Well, are we in a day where knowledge is increasing? Say it out loud. Yes. Not only knowledge in general, and I, I don't have the stats here, uh, but you can look them up how every year the aggregate uh, increase in knowledge is just, you know, what Google has uh, mapped out on the web and everything, just more and more and more. It's just so cumulative and amazing. But it's not just knowledge, I think, generally, of just this overwhelming sense of being over, uh, overloaded with knowledge, but it's also knowledge specifically of end times truths or prophetic knowledge. In the end times, closer, I believe, what we learn, and we'll see this when we go to chapter 12, but what we're learning through this statement is, is that the closer we get to the end, the more we'll understand prophecy. Pretty exciting. Now, let's get in to the technical part of this section. The 70 weeks of Daniel. So notice in verse 23, the moment that you began praying, a command was given. And now I'm here to tell you what it was for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, and to bring in everlasting righteousness to confirm to confirm the prophetic vision and anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand, verse 25. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time of the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite perilous times. Okay, so let me read this to you from the New King James, which will be more familiar to your ears. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be 70 weeks, or excuse me, seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. So God has set aside a time frame to accomplish a certain work. And that alone reveals to us that we have a God who cares. There are those that say today that God is impersonal and doesn't care. That really the only time he cares about man is to punish us or to hurt us. But that's not true. 
And I know maybe you grew up with this concept of God that he's just ready for you to fail so he can jump all over you and judge you and condemn you. And a weird, weird thoughts, but uh, you know, that God has a big baseball bat and he's just ready to clobber you when you fail. I think I've shared this with you before, but I grew up with this concept of God and I don't quite know who gave it to me exactly, although I know I did grow up in a, as a child in a very legalistic church and a very legalistic home. Uh, I, I remember in my mind that I had this picture of a big chalkboard, like one of those big chalkboards they had in school. They're whiteboards now, but us growing up, chalkboards. It was a big green chalkboard in heaven, and, and I know this is weird, so you can laugh at me if you want to, that's fine. But I, I, I think I remember it like little hamsters would go, and maybe because I had a pet hamster, I don't know. I know it's weird, but stick with me. That little hamsters would, the, the chalkboard was, was divided in half, and little hamsters would put a mark on the one side if I was good, and then they ran out of chalk by all the bad marks they would put. And then I would just measure my day, measure my month by these... <laughs> Uh, what hamsters are doing in heaven, I don't understand, but they were marking off all the bad things I did. Because, you know, I did way more bad things than my parents ever knew. And I just grew up with this sense that I'm already behind. I'll never catch up. I'll never be good enough to make up for all those. So the left-hand left side of the chalkboard was pretty much blank with just a couple marks here. Uh, maybe I did something. And, you know, I was even a kid too, so I didn't even know motives or anything. But I would measure any good work. But man, the bad works were horrible. And as a little kid, I just felt like, God, there's no hope for me. Because there was no hope at the church I went to because I was a rotten little kid, always in trouble. There wasn't hope in my home because I was a rotten kid, always in trouble. And people, adults still live like that today. Praise God that I was introduced to the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no weird chalkboard. There's not a God with a baseball bat, but there's a God with his arms wide open who died on a cross for you. And he was buried and he rose again the third day so that your sins can be forgiven. Yeah, maybe you have more evil than good in your life, which is the case for all of us. But God is personal. He cares. He's very involved and very interested in his creation. He wants you to know him. He, see, he knows you, but he wants you to know him. He wants you to understand his love. There is a particular time period that God has set in motion. There's a particular place where even though it's troubling times, I hear the invitation that we read in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 where it says, come now, let's settle this. Or in the New King James, it says, come now, let's reason together. God invites you to come to him with all your questions. And God invites you to come to him with all your concerns. And God invites you, even as a believer, a follower, it, is our, it should be our natural habit to come and to cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. And to come with our questions. I think of my friend today that finding out that, that he lost his son. And he's going to be filled with a lot of questions. And now he's going to grieve as a pastor very publicly. And he's going to be misunderstood. And unfortunately there are going to be people coming along that are going to want to take advantage of his weakness. And there's the internal things. And then there's the wife, his wife. And then there's his kids and his grandkids, other kids. And, and then on top of that, the inability to have a memorial service. Friends, look, God cares. And life can be hard. 
And yet, God is doing a work to bring about a specific end. Nothing will stop that. And in this particular vision that God is giving Daniel, it shouldn't surprise us that on the biggest part of prophecy that Israel is on center stage. As my friend Joe Rosenberg wrote, and he actually had a book titled this, but he declared Jerusalem the epicenter of all of world's history and all of prophecy. And it indeed, it is. Jerusalem is the epicenter. It always has been and always will be. The Jewish nation brought forth a Jewish Messiah that provides forgiveness to the world. These are your people, Daniel. This is your people. And so the unit of time in the New King James is the week. But notice in verse 24 in the New Living, it's 70 sets of seven. In the New King James, it's 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion and put an end to their sin. In verse 25, it's seven weeks and 62 weeks. Uh, He says seven plus 62 sets of seven. And then in verse 26, we see after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. And appearing to have accomplished nothing and a ruler will rise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. And the end will come with a flood. And the war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. Verse 27, the ruler will make a treaty with the people of, of one set of se- for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds... He will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration, the abomination of desolation, until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out upon him. So you've got one week and then the middle of that week. Now, when you think of a week, I want you to think of seven days. That's what we normally think of. But in the Hebrew, the word heptad literally means seven or a unit of seven. So it doesn't always refer to a week specifically or days. It's a unit of measuring, like a dozen. When we think of a dozen, what do we think of? Say it out loud. Twelve. A baker's dozen? Thirteen. Why? Because dozen is a word that represents a number. It's a, it's a measuring. It's a number of measurement. Or let me give you another one that we use in our English language. When I say decade, you think of what? Ten. That's right. You think of ten because it's a unit of measurement that has substance to it by its context. To the Jewish mind, and again, now we're getting into the technical part, but it's very important. And to the Jewish mind, this could either mean a week of days or a week week of years. So much of Jewish literature is filled with that viewpoint of years. We see that clearly in in the book of Genesis with Jacob and Rachel. After tricking Jacob into marrying Leah, Laban says, Genesis chapter 29, verse 26, it's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied, but wait until the bridal week is over and we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work for another seven years. Ancient Hebrews thought in terms of sevens. There was a weekly Sabbath, And there was also a time to take off a year, the Sabbath year. And the seventh year was designed to rest the land. So here's Daniel in captivity, studying the scrolls of Jeremiah. The Jews have been in captivity, but why? Well, really because they failed to keep the Sabbath year. They failed to give the land rest on that seventh year. They disobeyed God. Think about this. The nation disobeyed God 
and God allowed it for 490 years. Now when you do the math, how many Sabbath year rests were lost or not obeyed in 490 years? Well, 490 divided by 70 is seven. And it's amazing that the captivity, 70 I should say, it's amazing that the captivity was for 70 years. 490 divided by seven is 70. So these weeks mentioned in Daniel are actually years. These sets of seven refer to years. And most scholars look at these 70 weeks as weeks of years, not of days for obvious reasons. As you read through them, just for example, as you read through them, it couldn't be days, it has to be years. The Jewish commentators, the Mishnah, the Talmud, all speak of years. So as we enter, notice, 70 weeks are determined, 70 sets of seven, or 490 years. Now, coming back, specific things will happen. Come back now to Daniel 9. Specific things will happen. Verse 24. As I walk, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Let me get to the right page. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people in the holy city to finish the rebellion. So there's actually six things that are decreed here. Within the 70 weeks designated for the nation of Israel, these things will be done away and completed. In other words, Daniel, good things are going to be happening. Uh, iniquity will be forgiven. Prophecy fulfilled. Holy one anointed. Sin will be covered and atoned for. That's what he says. Finish their rebellion. Put an end to their sin. Atone for their guilt. Bring in everlasting righteousness to confirm the prophetic vision and anoint the most holy one. Wait a minute. To bring everlasting, everlasting righteousness, has that happened yet? I haven't seen everlasting righteousness. I continue to see the destruction and consequences of sin. So let's pause there just for a second. Six things up to that point. And then verse 25. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until the ruler, uh, the anointed one, comes. Okay, so now we have a starting point. From the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem will be 483 years. There's going to be a set of seven, a set of seven years that is set aside. And there will be, from that time, seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass. Seven sets of seven. So notice, what is this day for the commandment to restore and rebuild? There's a little problem because there's four different Direction, directives given to the Jews to rebuild. The first one was in Ezra chapter 1, King Cyrus. He gave a general edict to go home and you're free to go. Number two is King Darius in Ezra chapter 6. He just reiterates what Cyrus says and you guys are still free to go. Then in Ezra chapter 7, King Artaxerxes said, go back and gather the materials and sacrifices and then in Nehemiah chapter 2, given by King Artaxerxes, was a direct command to go back and rebuild. Remember Nehemiah asked for permission to go back and initiate the building of the city along with the temple? And that's the one you mark the date. This is the command. The date happens to be well attested historically. It was March 14th, 445 B.C. That was the day the command was given to rebuild and restore. So counting 69 weeks... 483 years from March 14, 445 would lead to the first coming of Messiah, the Prince. So when did he come? 
You've got to sharpen your pencils here, but there's folks that have done this far more in depth than we are in a Bible study. But we start on March 14, 445 BC. We take 69 years times seven times 360 days, and we come up with 173,880 days. As you count off those days, you come to the date April 6, 32 AD. What happened on that day? Well, Jesus tells his disciples to get a colt, and Messiah comes riding in Jerusalem, offering himself to be their king. And at first they welcome him, but then they yell, crucify him. You can jot it down, Matthew 21 and Luke chapter 19. You should have known, Jesus said. You guys that study the Bible your whole life, you guys that read the Bible your whole life, you guys that tell other people how to live your life, you should have known. And isn't that a, a, a word to you pastors and leaders? That you're not just knowing the Bible so that you can exegete it and so that you can parse the Greek verbs and the Hebrew. Uh, as important as understanding the text is, you're to know this book for life change. You don't want Jesus ever coming to you and saying, you should have known. You should have known. You spent your whole life. You dedicated your life. You live off of the worship money of my people. Uh, you are able to pray and study the word and then you miss it. Why? Because you worship the word and not the God of the word. And you were too involved in whatever else you were involved in instead of feeding the flock and knowing the word of God. You should have known. After 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off. Now cut off can mean two different things. The word cut, um, sometimes in the Hebrew, means to cut a, con a covenant or to make an agreement. But it also means to cut off a body part or to punish by death with piercing. And then that definition reminds us of Jesus Christ being put on a Roman cross, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I know it gets heavy. Now, a warning to you because you might go home and jot it down and try to do the math and you might calculate different numbers, 176,295 because you used 365 day, occasionally a 366 day calendar. But remember, uh, you're not using the Julian calendar based on the sun. You're going to use the ancient calendar, the 360 days based upon the movement of the moon, which is what ruled the day in the, that time. And every few years, the Jewish people would add a, a month or a leap year. And I would just recommend to you the book, The Coming Prince. It's an old classic. It's by Sir Robert Anderson. He exhaustively computes the days for this prophecy. It was so impressive that in 1901, they knighted Sir Robert Anderson. Now the future in verse 26, there's still one seven left. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing what? To have accomplished nothing. And that's a powerful statement. Many people look at Jesus' death and go, what did he accomplish? We accomplished the salvation of the world, those that put their faith in him. Notice a ruler will then arise and the armies will destroy the city and the temple. And the end will come with a flood and war. Its miseries decreed from that time to the very end. And it's in this last seven years, this last period of seven years in the history of Israel, it's still yet future. We are in between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel. We're in an in-between time. The Bible calls that in-between time the age of the Gentiles until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. We're in that time of the fullness of the Gentiles. 
And we're in that in-between space because when the great tribulation, now I'm jumping ahead of course, but those of you know that in the book of Revelation, we have a seven-year time period known as the time of great Jacob's trouble or better known as the time of the great tribulation period. Now, let me take a breath because we're almost done. But you can feel how overwhelming this is to us studying it right now. Can you imagine how Daniel felt? He got this as an answer to his prayer. And I have to say, there have been times when I've gotten heavy answers to my prayers. I've gotten very difficult direction. I pray over something and I'm just expecting God to say, well, just let it go, Ed, I'll take care of it. And instead, I'll pray about a very serious situation and God will say, no, Ed, I want you to make that phone call. And I'm like, I don't want to make that phone call. Now, that's not heavy as this whole unveiling, but there'll be times too when I'm praying and right in the middle of my prayer, God will just say, this is your answer. This is what, well, wait a minute, God, I want, I got to keep praying. And God says, no, I want, like Joshua, he says, get up, there's sin in the camp. And God will say, get up, there's situation needs to be taken care of. Get up, you need to talk to your daughter. Get up, you need to go make that phone call. Get up, you need to flush that alcohol. Get up. Like, no, it's time to move. But Daniel, this is, came in an answer to prayer. Gabriel's explaining it to him. Wow. Let alone, wouldn't you be blown away just an angel coming to you and explaining to you things? Wow, Gabriel, thanks. Now, according to verse 24, we know there's a time gap because according to verse 24, there's no ever, the everlasting righteousness hasn't come in. That too is promised in the end of Revelation chapter 20 in the millennial period will usher in everlasting righteousness the heavenly hope that we have, the eternal life. The 70th week has yet to be fulfilled. For over 2,000 years, every true believer has wanted the 70th week to come. Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11 tells us and teaches us there will be a time very soon when God's heart turns again to the Jewish nation. This 2,000 plus year gap of time is the time clock for Israel has stopped. And God has turned his attention to the Gentiles. This 2,000 gap has been, uh, thank God for the 2,000 year gap because we were saved. Thank God for that. And the time is coming when the fullness of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And the 70th week of Daniel will be fulfilled too. And verse 27 back in Daniel 9 speaks of the work of the Antichrist coming on the scene in peace. Just like, I, I forget the guy's name from England, Gordon something. He just called for a one world government. It, it's almost like that article, it's on the christianheadlines.com. Now, depending on when this plays on, the, on, the, uh, uh, on Abounding Grace on the radio. But if you're listening live right now, it's on christianheadlines.com where uh, this guy, the former prime minister of England, is just basically saying, they might have just wrote the article, we want the Antichrist. We are ready for the Antichrist. Because man knows Listen, intrinsically, man knows that he is not the solution. Uh, it, it takes a virus, perhaps. It takes a doctor's note. It takes a diagnosis, an email. It takes a phone call to remind us that man is not in control. And God is exact with his times. And he will fulfill his word. And he will fulfill his... God is not... One, more, one final word. God is not done with the nation of Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. If you've been taught replacement theology, you've been taught wrong. The church has not. Church is very distinct from the Jewish people and from the apple of God's eye. Yes, God has merged them together in the body of Christ, but he's not done with the nation of Israel. 
I mean, imagine this. If God was done with the nation of Israel he, and he wasn't going to keep the rest of his promises to that covenanted nation, then he wouldn't be faithful to you. And, and then you cry, oh, they failed. They failed the covenant. That's why God divorced them. Yeah, he did that many times and you failed the co- new covenant. So what, what, what is it that holds you close to God? Is it your success or is it God's promise? Many years ago, there was a great movement of men. It's actually started here in Boulder, Colorado, uh, known as Promise Keepers. And I, it was an admirable movement. It was wonderful what it did for many years to rally men to be the men that God had called them to be. I only had one hesitation with it, really, in the early years, and that was it emphasized the man as a promise keeper. And again, I know we're talking semantics here, but, but the emphasis on a man being a promise keeper puts all the weight and effort on the man. And then when the man can't keep the promises, then he has an added weight of burden and he has an added weight of guilt and he has an added weight of shame. And I get the point and I love that. I love what God did through uh, past, uh, uh, Coach Bill McCartney and all the guys. It was an amazing thing. It was a, an amazing outpouring for a season uh, and it had its time and it had its season. Praise God for that. But I don't want to be a pastor that emphasizes you as a promise keeper because I don't believe God emphasizes you as a promise keeper. You know what the Bible emphasizes? The Bible doesn't emphasize you and me as promise keepers. The Bible emphasizes the promise giver. It's God's promises. And when he makes a promise, he keeps it, even in and despite our failure. Because what do we have to offer to God but failure? And what do we have to offer God? Who among us could deserve for God to keep his promise to us. You know, God, keep your promise because I've been perfect. Not even Daniel could say that. Daniel included himself with the sin of the nation. So know that God is exact and the 70th week of Daniel is coming because God is going to fulfill his word to the nation of Israel. And I'm so encouraged by that. So Father, as we end our time today, I pray that uh, as a church, families spread out around, among this city, around this state, this country, even around the world, that we would be the church, that you would inspire us and reminding us that you keep promises, that you love to just show off your power by keeping promises. And I know that there is an, es- uh, there is an element where we want to be a promise keeper, Lord. We, we want to be faithful in what you've given to us, but, but we also know that we're imperfect And it's by your grace that we're saved. And if you're watching me, listening to me right now, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do just that. Let God rule your life, friend. You're fearful, you're lonely, you're wrestling, you might even consider yourself out of your mind right now. You don't know which way is left and which way is right. And, 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 and you're, you're even in a place where you can't come with, and be in a room with other believers. Like You can't even come to a church building right now. And God has got your attention. This isn't going to last forever. Things are going to pass. A new normal is going to start. But today is the day of salvation. We don't need to worry about the future. Today is the day. And if God has got your attention today and he has reminded you how exact he is, I want to invite you to receive him as your savior. You can pray and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So pray with me right now, would you? You could say this, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me 
to die for me and I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save my soul and I dedicate my life to following him from this day forward. God help me to turn my life away from my sinful past and to follow you all the days I have left. I turn away from my sins. I renounce them and I ask you to fill me God with who you are with meaning and purpose. If you prayed that prayer, God heard it, and he receives you. Now, I know it can be very emotional. I know that I may have gotten your attention because of emotion, but emotion's not bad. But don't allow this just to be an emotional response. Let it be a real decision to follow Jesus with your life. If you were here, I invite you up, front, up to the stage, and we have packets available to give to you. But you're not here. So I want to invite you, wherever you are, to go to our website, calvaryco.church, calvaryco.church. And down at the bottom, if you scroll to the bottom, there are tabs that say how to know God. And start clicking those, and all the information we would give you if we saw you personally is available on our website. And I, I want to invite you to get that material and follow God with us. You can also text us. We have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week text line for prayer. So send us a text, 720-336-0897. It is not for phone calls. It's only for texting. And we want you to 720-336-0897. Send us a text anywhere in the world. We received a text this weekend from a sweet sister in Vietnam. So if you're in Vietnam or South Africa or Italy, if you are on the African continent, you're in South Africa, you're in South America, you're in South Dakota, text us. We want to serve you. We want to love you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you. And God has connected us. So praise, I praise God that we get the privilege, even just today, to encourage you in the preciseness and the exactness of the prophetic time clock and just the simple truth that God answers prayer. And you are an answer. Your salvation today is an answer to God's, to someone's prayer. And God answered that. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.